car with straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then pop models. Uh -huh. Car with yeah. straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then okay, pop bottles. Okay, we poppin' champagne like we won a championship game. Look like I got on a championship brain. Cause I ball hard. Don't be ball harder. I am the bird man. What up, night fans? It's Tuesday, October 9th. UCF has cracked into the top 10 after a 48-20 blowout of SMU on Saturday. We passed three teams that lost in the AP poll, but were dropped by Texas with their quality loss to Maryland in week one. And I'm here with Money Move. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Money Move. UCF finally making it into the top 10. We are a top 10 football program. We have been all along. Uh, but we're now number 10 in the AP poll. I think it's a game where we definitely left some points on the board again, and I think the box score really didn't reflect on the actual outcome. Yeah, well, I mean, this was another game. You know, we had a tip ball intercepted to the nine-yard line. You can almost throw that out. I mean, the defense, they didn't really give up that. I mean, they gave up the touchdown. They didn't give up getting to that position. And then they scored a garbage-time touchdown with um, – I think 30 seconds left, and then two field goals. So besides that, I mean, another awesome game by the defense. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, like you said, I think we left some points on the board, and uh, I don't think KZ has played his best game of the season so far. He looked really good against UConn, and then after that, I mean, he's had some great games, but I don't think he's played his best game yet. No, I, I totally agree, but I think let's talk about the thing that at least I wanted to talk about at the beginning was the scare when Milton went down it was a hard hit between two SMU defenders he was trying to dive for a first down and what I, did you see I mean it didn't look good he got kind of sandwiched and then you know I was kind of up high at that point I couldn't really tell what was happening it was scary we saw him run off the field I uh, saw his mom go down to the locker room area and that's you know that's when you know that obviously it was uh well, it was either like maybe a collarbone or something, but he wasn't holding his arm. I mean, you figure it was a concussion at that point. I mean, those, you know, you can kind of come back in the game after getting hit, hit hard in the head, or sometimes you can be out for weeks. So definitely a scare, but everything's okay. So I think we just, you know, look forward and move on to the next one. Hopefully it gets down better next game. But he did go to the, med he did go to the medical tent. And then we saw him jog into the locker room. That's pretty much where, you know, I crap my pants. <laughs> and I, I saw Daryl Mack getting ready, and I, I saw what he did in the UConn game. It was respectable, but kind of wanted to go into this a little bit. So, you know, knock on wood, McKenzie should be okay and ready to go for the next game. But I just wanted to get your opinion on, on Daryl Mack, though, as, you know, if he were to lead this team and if Milton missed any time— you know, what do you think our offense would would look like? I don't know because, you know, Hypes never really put the ball in his hands to throw in, like, a situation where we needed to. He's been in the game to run the clock out for the most part. And, yeah, obviously get some looks, but it's not anything that is a good enough sample to, to tell he's definitely a good quarterback. You know, our running game has been so good that I think if we're forced to have Mac lead us in a game, lead our offense, I think that we'll, you know, rely a little bit more on the run which in turn makes the passing game easier with play action. And I, I think we'll get to see really what he can do. I mean, he's a big guy, and he's a great athlete, obviously. He hasn't been forced to drive us down the field, make a bunch of big throws and score, especially 
not any time when the game was close. So what do you think? Yeah, I think we definitely have to rely on the run a lot more, but that really doesn't concern me at all because we have a stable full of running backs. That yeah. They're all averaging over five yards a carry, and that includes, well, okay, we'll take out Milton, but Otis Anderson and Greg McRae are actually averaging seven yards a carry, and those are all out of a minimum of 20 carries. So Yeah, so we're running the ball real well. Obviously, I'm sure people will still complain, but our yards per carry are great. Lots of touchdowns. I don't think we have anything to worry about with that. Looking on some other things in the game, Titus Davis, who'd been playing a little below average, I think, in recent weeks, had a lights-out game, his best one of the year, got American Conference Defensive Player of the Week, three tackles for loss, one sack, had a big stop on that fake punt. I don't know what they were doing there. The elephant in the room, literally. Tristan Hill rumbling, tumbling, stumbling into the end zone for a one-yard touchdown. His first ever career touchdown went up and over the pile in for the score. Yep, had a big old spike too. Yeah, that that was that was awesome. Gotta love when a big man scores. I've said this before. So yeah, that was awesome. Um, the other crazy thing was how about Matthew Wright throwing his body out there? Oh yeah, with a fumble recovery. Yep. Great form. Big special teams play. But more importantly, let's talk about how good he's been kicking the ball this season. Do you have those numbers? I do. We do have those numbers. So on field goals, Matthew Wright, 4 of 4. Wait, that's it? That's all we've kicked? We've only kicked four field goals. However, we've kicked 33 extra points. Wow. 100% for Matthew Wright. I believe he is going to break the UCF all-time record for points scored either this next week at Memphis or the week after at ECU. I think he's only like 10 points behind Moffat. So yep. all-time legend there. Uh, we're definitely going to miss him after this season. Is there anything else you want to talk about from this game? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, we went 1-0 again this week. You know, 48-20, another 20-plus point win. Then we look ahead now to Memphis, where this is the first game now that we're not a double-digit favorite. You know, revenge game for Memphis. We were the only thing standing between them and the Peach Bowl last year. They would have went undefeated if it wasn't for us last year. And, they're you know, we're coming into their house. You know, they don't have the best record. They're 2-3. and three, But I think, you know, it's kind of like this is their Super Bowl. You know, their season, they're not going to – be in the conference championship. This is all they have to play for. This is their biggest game this year. It's at home, and they could ruin our season. So I definitely uh, I think we're going to win. I am a little worried. They have a really good running back. <gasps> You're worried. Well, I mean, you can't go in there like to every game like it's SC State, but they have a really good running back. We've had trouble stopping good running backs, and we're going to talk about that a little later in our interview, really break down the analytics of how we match up against Memphis. But um, lots of big losses from ranked teams ahead of us and also ranked teams behind us to unranked teams in college football this week, which is always good. We're always rooting for everyone to lose. Uh, Moo, why don't you tell us some of those games? So the first one, Texas taking out number seven, Oklahoma, 48-45. So the number seven team lost, the number five team, LSU, and the number eight team, Auburn, all lost. So it's three losses right in front of us plus which, which are basically gifts because they were all favored in each of those games yep those and are gifts to UCF for us moving up into the top 10 and then also being number 12 and as you know voters have shown before it's easy for us to get past 
number 13 and number 14 both went down. So that's good. We have less people breathing down our neck. And then also Miami barely beat FSU. I think the whole ACC is just garbage. Yeah, they really are. I gave out Miami minus 12 as my pick last week. More on that in, uh, in a little bit. But I really think that, you know, FSU, I kind of overlooked how big the rivalry was. I did that in the Texas game because I gave out Oklahoma as well. And it's these rivalry games. You know, Memphis is kind of our rival the last few years. You know, the first game that we played against them during the regular season really wasn't a contest, but one for the ages was that conference championship game. We could have lost that game easily. We, we I mean, were inches away from triple overtime. On the, the play before Trey Neal's interception, we were literally – Riley Ferguson overthrew his receiver by six inches maybe, and he was wide open right there in the end zone, and it just threw it over his head. It would have forced triple overtime, and who knows what happens after that. You know, this whole Peach Bowl national championship might never happen. We could be 12-1. and one. It's yeah. crazy. So, again, rivalry game, anything can happen. And uh, that game is at 3.30 on ABC. Look out for that. And like I mentioned before, I'll be traveling to the game. Got a couple events planned. Check Twitter. I'll be tweeting it out. Going to be a lot of fun that weekend. Let's look ahead. Power 6 update. Yes, you got it. So, we had some... Great, great news by our standards in the Power 6 update this week. University of South Florida is now ranked number 23. I know some of you will boo that, but we really need them to be ranked for our strength of schedule to be helped. Yeah, Um, we need these teams not to lose for the rest of the season until they play each other. I'm kind of rooting for Cincy, obviously, because I still think there's a good chance we could get college game day that week. UCF's getting talked about a lot. Uh, We're kind of like a love-hate thing, but our name is in everyone else's mouth, good or bad, pretty much every week now. So I think ESPN might want to do that, but who knows. And Cincinnati also jumped into the top 25. It really just gives a lot more credibility to the AAC. Well, we've got three undefeated teams in our Eastern Division, and obviously Cincy and USF took them over a month to get ranked, but... That's what happened to us last year, and that's why we're so thankful. Even though we were only ranked 21 to start the year, it's better than not being on the rankings at all. And we've been able to pull into the top 10, which with you know the same five victories that USF has. So, Other than the UCF-Memphis game, it's kind of a quiet week for the AAC. Uh, USF plays against Tulsa, who Tulsa gave a little bit of a scare to Houston for the first half at least. And then Cincinnati has a bye. There's actually a lot of teams on bye for the AAC this week. But some more upcoming games that have potential to affect UCF's ranking. Pitt plays at Notre, number five, Notre Dame. Now, I've said this before, Pitt is a giant killer. They might only be three and nine or, you know, four and eight one year, but they're going to get somebody. Yeah. And it would be great if they knocked Notre Dame out because that would clearly knock them out of the playoff with one loss. And on top of that, that gives our Pitt win big credibility. God, I know we say this every week that North Carolina game is going to haunt us. I mean, it's just the same thing as Georgia Tech last year. I think because Clemson doesn't have any ranked teams left on their schedule, they might play a ranked Miami in the ACC championship. But, you know, having that extra win against North Carolina really would help our cause. But you know what? We can't control that stuff. We just got to keep winning. It is what it is. Got to go one and oh. Yeah. What are are some other games to keep an eye on this week? So we got number seven, Washington, going at Oregon, who's ranked number 17. I think Oregon has a 
decent shot, maybe a 50-50, of taking out Washington. Pac-12 sucks anyway. But. LSU, who just lost to Florida, is going to play Georgia. Now, Georgia hasn't really been tested by anyone yet this year. But that'll be a game. Obviously, I'm rooting for number two Georgia to lose, but obviously if number 13 LSU beats them, they're going to jump us in the rankings. Again, I don't know. Just get used to it, guys. Just are. get ready for it. Texas was 17, and they went to nine for beating a number seven Oklahoma that, all, that went to overtime against eight Navy. So you're telling me you don't think Oregon can go from 17 to top 10, being the number five team? Dude. Nah. Yeah, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then, obvious. all right, this game, I know someone's going to jump us. That's number 15, Wisconsin, at number 12, Michigan. I just well, – Maybe Mi- Michigan. Michigan, I understand. Like, their only loss is Notre Dame. Okay. That's Notre- true. Quality loss. But Wisconsin, they lost to BYU. Yeah, well, all right, Texas lost to Maryland week one. Yeah. I, I, I'm telling I you. Know. I don't really know anymore. We're going to need – and this is what ended up happening last year. Alabama had one loss. Every other team, besides the three in the playoff in Alabama, every other team had two losses. And that's what the kind of situation we're going to need to get in because they've shown they'll give a pass for one loss. It's like, oh, they didn't show up that week. UCF has no losses, but our schedule wasn't hard enough. Well, you know what? We didn't lose to a mediocre P5 team like Texas did, like Oregon did, so like Wisconsin yeah. did. I, I don't know. All we can do is win. Exactly. You know, if we went undefeated and we didn't make the playoffs and we just went to the Peach Bowl and destroyed, like, West Virginia or whoever, I mean, Stanford would that be in the Fiesta Bowl? Would yeah. that satisfy you? I'd it would be satisfy very satisfied. me. What does that put us at? It's 26 in a row? That, yeah, yeah, that would be, be tw- right. 26 I'd be, I'd be in a row. That. And Who you know gives what? a crap about the CFP? I'd be walking around with my yeah. chin held high. Yeah, in Atlanta again. And you know what? On top of that, I don't think this is the best year for us to make the playoff. I think we're going to be a better team next year just because I think we're keeping pretty much all of our core players. Remember the first podcast I said that I thought this team was better than last year? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We lost – the best cornerback in college football, Mike Hughes. We lost one of the best linebackers, pass rushers, Shaquem Griffin. You know, we lost Garad and Pittman in the middle. Now, we've done a good job replacing them. I think the D-line play has gone down. Shaquem's irreplaceable, and Mike Hughes, you know, is really good too. But, you know, we'll just have to see. Anyway, so let's uh, move on. Let's get to our interview. We've got – he is a football analyst, professional, charts college football games. He's an analyst for Pro Football Focus, the main – football analytics company and he's really going to give us a good kind of statistical insight into how we match up against Memphis also some of our personnel and player usage and formations and stuff this year anyway it's really interesting uh so let's get to that I'm here with Anthony Lenahan who is a football analyst for pro football focus uh what's going on how's it going everything's good excited for the game this week it's been a great season so far so hopefully we can keep on winning yeah, and uh, you know a lot of people are, are worried about this Memphis game, so hopefully we can get some clarification on how, how we match up against them. Um, but let's go back to the SMU game first. What, what are your thoughts from that about our offense? Well, I mean, the offense looked good. Uh, obviously, scoring 48 points, there's never anything that you could be like, well, they didn't play great. But uh, there are some things that I pointed out throughout the season with Heupel that I – kind of disagree with based on the data I've charted and stuff like that. The biggest thing to me is personnel usage. So last season at Missouri, he ran 11 personnel, which is the first number is 
the amount of running backs, second numbers, the amount of tight ends, and then the remaining is the wide receivers. So 11 personnel is one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. It's pretty much the staple offense with coaches run now in today's football in the NFL and college. So Hypo ran that about 94% of plays last season. And coming to UCF, that was a concern of mine because Otis Anderson is probably one of the most versatile players in college football, in my opinion. And we also don't have a great tight end at UCF. Lubiala is respectable, but he's not Jordan Akins or somebody. So that was one of my concerns going into the season. And um, we actually started to use 21 personnel a lot, which is pretty much just Otis Anderson on the field with another running back, whether it be Killens, Taj McGowan, or Greg McCray. Right, so two backs, one tight end, two receivers, right? That's correct. Got it. And Otis was on the field for every single time there's two running backs. I'm using, I'm counting Otis as a running back throughout the season because I think that's what he is and should be considered. Uh, If you're going to run the ball, six or seven times a game, I'm going to consider you running back, and he also ran the ball pretty much every single, uh, more often than not last season. So he's a running back, in my opinion, and what I'm using him charting purposes. So throughout the season, we uh, Hypel actually ran a lot of 21 or 20 personnel with Otis, probably around 35 to 40% per game. And the success rate, which I'll refer to a lot throughout this, it's, on first downs, it's four, gaining 40% of yards to, to go. On second down, it's 60%. And third down and fourth down, it's 100 so getting the first down. So yeah. I'll, refer, I'll refer to that a lot. And the numbers were through the roof. They were hitting at high 50s, uh, low 60s, which is just incredible. While 11 personnel was sitting around mid-40s, which is a drastic difference. So SMU, he actually reverted back to going 11 personnel. They ran, they ran 81 total plays, 70 of them were with 11 personnel, and they only had a 45.71% success rate on those. They ran 21 personnel, 9 of the 81 plays, so very small sample size, only 11, 11%, and their success rate was 55.56%. So, Well, that goes along with even, it's a small sample for that game, but it seems to match what you saw earlier in the season success rate-wise, right? So against Pitt, they ran... 21 personnel, 52 out of 79 plays. I mean, this was in large part because uh, Snelson didn't play, so Otis played a ton of slot. I he didn't play, he didn't line up a single play in the backfield, so this kind of skews the statistics a little bit. Yeah, if he's in the slot, that's almost the same as being 11 still, right? Pretty much, because yeah. if you don't line him up at halfback at all, you kind of eliminate the threat of him running. Mm-hmm. But they still had a 52% success rate. And then at 11 personnel, they had a 43.48% success rate on 23-79 plays. So if you look at the FAU game in which Snelson did play, they ran 11 personnel, 46.84%. So drastically lower than the 86% that they ran it against SMU. And they ran 21 personnel, 31.65% of the time. In 21 personnel, they hit at a 72% success rate. And in 11 personnel, they hit at a 51.35%. They also ran 20 personnel, which is two running backs, no tight ends, and three wide receivers. Uh, something I would like to see them do more of, too, with Marlon Williams kind of playing a hybrid tight end role. Uh, they hit at 71.43% success on that. So, I mean, in the 70s, success rate is just 
it's kind of unheard of numbers if you look at any NFL games or anything or even the overall success rate the last two games for UCF's offense in general. So in general, you're saying we're, we are clearly better on offense with two running backs in the game. Oh, easily. It's not even a question. I mean, Otis is just so versatile. If you you got to give him carries to get, make him a threat in the run game, but when you split him out wide and you put him in the backfield, you just can't really defend it because right. you're either gonna you're either gonna have to bring an extra linebacker on the field to defend the run, and then you're gonna leave him in the slot or even running routes out of the backfield one on one with a linebacker, or you're gonna bring in another corner or safety to play the slot, and it's just gonna make it harder to defend the run. So, do you think that Hypel plans on using more 20 personnel um, or 21 personnel in the future games? Like he's holding maybe some of his hand back? Or do you think this is the way it is going forward? A lot of the feedback that I've gotten has said that, like, Heupel has held a lot of stuff back and he doesn't want to show stuff. But we're four, five games, five games through the season. I don't really count SC State because FCS opponent. I pretty much only look at FBS games. So, I mean, that's almost halfway through the season. And FAU and Pitt were probably the two biggest games of the season heading into, especially non-conference, heading into the season. I mean, FAU is regarded as the second-best group of five, if not the best top three with UCF and maybe Boise State in there. So I don't think you're holding anything back for that game. And Pitt, the only Power 5 team, you're not holding anything back. So... It kind of leads me to say no, and his history at Missouri and even Utah State was strictly 11 personnel. Like, he did not use running backs at all out of the backfield in the slot. So, history says no, but, I mean, coaches, the good ones are going to change their uh, habits and play to their strengths, so we'll see. We talked about the offense offensive side of the ball maybe we can get some of your feedback on the defense from the last game oh the defense against smu was incredible i didn't actually sort out anything for the defense but i have it all charted i mean the first two games against uconn and fau the biggest thing was missed tackles uh fau they in both games they missed 27 tackles uh, against FAU, there were 62 plays that weren't in completion, so on plays that you had to make a tackle on. They missed 27 tackles, which is about one every other play. And the yards they allowed after those missed tackles was 207, which I think was probably about half of FAU's total offense. Uh, against UConn, they allowed 27 missed tackles as well on somewhere around 70 plays, so that was a major concern. But uh, against SMU and Pitt, they really, really uh, started tackling a lot better. Against SMU, they only missed five tackles, accounting for only 25 yards on roughly 60 plays. So that's just a major, major upgrade. And this week going against Daryl Henderson, who's, I think, the best running back in the country. He's probably better than Devin Singletary. It's going to be a major thing. So let's let's move on then and talk a little bit about Memphis's offense and what we can expect to see formation-wise, usage-wise, and how you think we match up against them. Yeah, so Memphis, they'll run a bunch of different guys out there. They run a lot of different personnels. They've ran 
10 personnel, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, 13, 20, 21, and 22 all this season. They're primarily going to run 21 personnel. They have a guy, Tony Pollard, who lines up in the slot uh, probably about 80% of the time, but he's uh, he's listed as a running back, and he will run the football. He's also their second-leading receiver in terms of targets behind Coxie, who has double targets. So they're going to run out a lot of two running back looks with Pollard in the slot. And then they'll also throw out a lot of two tight end looks with Dykes and Magnifico. So they'll run out a lot of those looks. In terms of success rate, they're really good with two, uh, two running backs on the field. In 21 personnel and 22 personnel, they're 56.76 and 71.43 respectively. And in 11 personnel, which is, again, your common personnel in modern-day football, they're only 45.31%. With two tight ends on the field, they're 51.16%. 12 personnel is a lot of what FAU ran out of when they ran the football, and it's an area where UCF actually struggled to defend the run, run against. So that's something to look see if they use that at all against us then. Yeah, they definitely will. I mean, they run it on 16% of plays so far this season, so they're definitely going to roll it out. It's their third most common personnel usage. And out of that, they run the ball 29 out of 43 plays, and they've been successful on 58% of them. So it's definitely a strength for them. If you could get the more big guys you could get blocking for Daryl Henderson and Patrick Taylor, the better. Right. So it sounds like this might be a high-scoring game similar to FAU. Yeah, I could see that easily. I mean, if you look at the Vegas over-under, it's 77. So it's going to be up there. Uh, what was the score in the conference championship game last year? There's definitely over 100 points. 63-56? Yeah, something like that. At the same time, Riley Ferguson and Anthony Miller aren't walking through the tunnel on Saturday. So that's a major difference. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I feel a little more confident. Their quarterback, I think, is all right, but, you know, they lost their number one receiver, and I don't know. I just think we'll be, they won't be able to score as many points as we, we can. Yeah, I actually charted their quarterback, so he's thrown 128 passes so far. He's been accurate on 64%. So for accuracy, I don't look at, like, complete completion percentage. I look at completions, if they're accurate. There can be inaccurate completions if a receiver makes – a great catch, and there could also be accurate balls on incompletions, which are normally just drops. So that's what I look at for that. So specific insight, you know, or if they, you know, they spike the ball or throw it out yeah. or something that doesn't count. Either. I try to take, I take out throwaways and um, sacks. I don't count for anything either. If you look at his de- uh, average depth of pass, so looking at how far he's throwing the ball, not for instance if. There's a 30-yard completion, but he only throws the ball three yards in the air. I look at it as a three-yard pass, not a 30-yard catch, because he's really only throwing the ball three yards. Right, so average depth of target. From line of scrimmage and behind, he's thrown 40 passes. Now, these are typically screen passes. I think they've thrown 34 screen passes so far. He's thrown accurate balls 31% of the time. Other than that, that's by far the largest area depth that he's thrown. If you look at one to five, he's only thrown 13 passes. Six to 10, he's only thrown 30. He's thrown 31, which is a significant amount. 11 to 15, he's thrown 16. 16 to 20, he's thrown 11. And 21 plus, which are considered deep balls, he's thrown 17. He's actually been accurate on 58% of those, which is 
very good. A lot better than Milton's been this this season after he absolutely dominated that category last year. I was looking at the numbers. Uh, he definitely took a big step back, I think, in the in the deep balls. But last year he was almost perfect. Yeah, uh, last season I had I had him at thirty nine for sixty five last season for sixty percent, which is unbelievable. And from the sixteen to twenty range, I had him at seventy percent. So that's what the numbers this year are very not Milton, like if you look at last year, other than the UConn game where he really looked like his old self. Other than that, he's struggled a lot with accuracy. I think the coaching change and just being in a different offense for the first year might have some kind of factor. I have a feeling that he'll elevate his game in closer game situations because the only time we've been in a position where we like almost felt, at least I felt, like we needed to score is when we got the ball back down 17-14 versus FAU with like a minute 30 left and he let us down a perfect drive down the field in like a minute and we scored. So I'd like to think that he'll step his game up if we're in a situation like that here in the future. Yeah, he's definitely that kind of player. Like he's got that moxie and that swag where he kind of lives for the moment. And that's why the SC State game I kind of just threw out because it was almost like nobody, like not that they didn't want to play or like in a look ahead. It was just like kind of a letdown game for them. It, if you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it's we knew we were going to win no matter what, and I just don't think they were prepared or cared. As fans, we felt the same way almost, too. His numbers in that game were really ugly. I think he threw, like, six interceptable passes, and he didn't throw any other interceptable passes this season except for last week. The offensive line has been a big area for of concern for me, especially last week. SMU blitzed on 22 plays, and Milton only attempted 34 passes. So that's a significant amount of blitzes yeah, there. Two-thirds, yeah. I charted 19 pressures or run dis- disruptions for that game, and there were seven of them that weren't on blitzes, which is seven out of 12, I believe, which is more than 50%, which is just that's what I can. you could contribute a little bit of Milton's accuracy problems is he's just not really having time to throw the ball. Well, that makes sense, too. A lot of people, like, they'll just look at sacks allowed and see, I think UCF's probably let up under five this season. But that doesn't really tell a story because Milton's just so good with his feet and so creative that he's able to elude pressure and at least throw the ball away or scramble. Right. Well, that's why we have analytics guys like you to uh, break down stuff other than sacks and then let us know what's going on. So we appreciate that. You got anything else you want to add? How about a game prediction? Uh, I mean, if you want me to a little bit more on Memphis's offense, if you want me to. Yeah, go for it. So the big story of this game is going to be Daryl Henderson. If they can run the ball, they're gonna they're gonna be in this game. UCF did an unbelievable job against stopping the run last week, but they really struggled on outside runs against Singletary. Uh, They let up 12 of 17 successful runs to Singletary against FAU, which is an incredibly high percentage. And is that mostly attributed to poor tackling from, like, our cornerbacks, or or where, where does that kind of fall on? It's a lot of tackling and just letting them get to the outside and not setting the edge. But tackling did play a big role in it. But... Uh, Memphis loves to run the ball to the outside. Henderson's run 16, 16 times to the left end, successful on 10 of them. 7 out of 10 to the left, and then he's 10 out of 16 to the right end. 
I mean, this guy's just, he's unbelievable this season. He averages 7.8 yards per carry before contact and then 4.64 yards after contact, which is about over 12 yards a carry. This isn't, this isn't including the Mercer game because I didn't chart that because FCS opponent again. He also, he also forces, forced 28 missed tackles on 67 rushes. That accounted for 498 yards after missed tackles at 7.43 yards a rush. Memphis's line's not really that good, so he's been a big part of just carrying the running game by himself. And now a lot of fans are going to say, like, stack the box. It's easy just stack the box and stuff, whatnot. But against a six-man box, he's 10 for 15 on successful rush- rushes for 16.2 yards. That's He'll probably get a lot of seven-man boxes, which is a lot of what Randy Shannon's been throwing out this season. Uh, he's run for 11.36 yards per carry on 45 attempts out of that, and 24 of them were successful. So I think the run game is going to play a huge part. If you can make Brady White throw the ball, if you could get him in obvious passing situations, he's struggled this season. How did Memphis, I know their last game, they just lost to Tulane 40-24, to and it actually wasn't even that close. They were down 40-14 to in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to find like a reason why they would lose to a team like Tulane, and they didn't even turn the ball over once. So, I don't know, was it, is Tulane actually good, or... Tulane ran the crap out of the ball. They just beat him at the point of attack on on offense. And, I mean, when you're able to run the ball, it sets up play action, which is a large part of UCF's offense as well. It's going to be a big key, being able to run the ball. I honestly think it's going to come down to UCF's defense and how they perform in the first two quarters, the first half, because if they get up, Memphis has no chance. Also, one other thing you mentioned before was Otis's usage compared to AK's. This is something that's been mentioned by a lot of the fans, kind of complaining about why we're running Killens up the middle so much, because those plays don't typically look like they're successful. But what are kind of your thoughts on his usage and also, I guess, those runs up the middle that a lot of people on Twitter have been complaining about over the last two, three weeks? Uh, I think the runs up the middle are fine. They've been very successful on runs up the middle. So it's been working. First and second down rushes, they've been hitting at a higher percent success rate than passes and actually getting the same amount, if not more, yards per carry as they are yards per pass attempt. Running the ball, I have no problem with the run game. It's specifically more, I just don't think Killens is a 20-carry game back. Just based off last season, I said the same thing after the season and kind of my preview for this year. He's a great running back, don't get me wrong, and like he's fun as heck to watch with the ball in his hands, but just force-feeding him up the middle all the time is just not going to work. He only Against SMU, he only averaged .95 yards after contact on 20 rushes. He actually he was successful on eight of his 20 rushes, which is 40%, which is just it's not that good, to be frank, and he was 60% on rushes up the middle. If you put Taj... Otis's and McCray's numbers together, they were successful on 12 of their 15 carries combined, which is 80%. Yeah, it's double is good. So that's that's unbelievable. I mean, Taj has been an animal all season, up the middle too. It looks like he's gotten a lot faster and stronger from last season. He's kind of transformed more into like a running back type body. 
So I've liked Taj, and then Otis was six for six. He had 3.5 yards after contact per rush and forced three missed tackles on uh, six total carries. And then McCray's been great all season, too. It's just if they didn't have the depth at backfield that they have, I would be perfectly fine with AK getting 20 carries a game because he's just that explosive. But when you have the running back depth that they have, and even Ventavious Thompson has been great when he's gotten in, it's just it doesn't really make sense to me. And I think also if we use Otis and Taj and other guys more, I feel like that would possibly increase AK's uh, success rate just because he'd be more of like a change of pace quick guy, right? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and it limits the hits on him. It, he's not a big guy. He weighs like 160 pounds, so it's like... He does Otis, though. It's interesting. But I, I agree. He's definitely not a contact runner. And that, that .9 yards after contact... I mean, it makes that pretty clear. So. And o- Otis is actually pretty good after contact, which... Yeah. He's not a big guy either. You almost forget that, though. But uh, oh, it's just they're, they're different runner types. He's really, like, shifty and AK's, uh, you know, straight line speed. But. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. This week should be a good test. First and second down, to me, is going to be huge on defense. So Memphis has run 219 plays on first and second down. They've been successful on 65.67 of them. So getting ahead of the chains is huge. They've run 64, uh, 116 of those times, 64 successful, with an average yards per carry of 10.2. So that's getting a first down every first down, per se, when they run the ball. 58.7% passing success rate for an average yard per attempt of 9.43. So first and second down is huge because when you look at third down, they've run 47 plays. 21 successful, so their third down conversion rate's about 45%. UCF's is, I think it might be first in the country. They're at 59%. Um, that makes all the difference. That's drive killers right there when you can't convert. On third down, their average yard to gain is 9.19 yards. So when they're in third down, they're well behind the chains, and that takes away their run game. They've only run the ball seven of those 47 plays. They only average .86 yards per carry on those. They have thrown 35 passes, they've been sacked or scrambled five times, but on their 35 passes, their average yards of gain is 9.9 yards, and they've only been successful 16 times, so that's where you want to get them in obvious passing situations. You mentioned the, the Tulane game before and how they got behind, so I looked at when they're losing, they were while they were down by 10 or less in the Tulane game and the Navy game, which they also lost, they ran 37 plays. They threw 23 passes, and they were only successful on seven of those for 30% success rate. So that's just the key of the game to me is you need to make them get it behind the chains and ahead early and make them into obvious passing situations because that's where they've struggled. So get them down in points so they're forced to throw and and long yardage situations, whatever we can do to force them to throw the ball. That sounds like the key to victory. It sounds kind kind of obvious. It sounds kind of obvious. The numbers back it up pretty pretty large. Yeah, because especially with how good their success rates are with running the ball, you know, you got to get them into the, the low percentage situations. Let's move on to a couple of other things. Moo? Yeah, so I, I kind of had a question of who do you think from UCF right now is the most NFL ready to, you know, come out? could be a senior or it could be somebody that you think is going to come out and is the most NFL ready for the draft this year. This year in particular, or like the my like favorite NFL prospect on the team. We'll do favorite NFL prospect on the team. 
I think Gabe Davis, I said it in my preview, last season he was UCF's worst receiver in terms of success rate, but I I said in my preview that I think he's the most NFL-ready receiver they have. I mean, if you just look at his size, his speed, and his hands, it's just he's just an all-around great receiver. I think all three of their receivers, and even Marlon Williams, too, who I love, are all going to be NFL players. Yeah, Nixon's really good. I agree. What about what do you feel about McKenzie? My personal take is that he's got all the, the skill attributes. He just needs to put on, I think, maybe like 20 pounds. How do you feel about him? Uh, I think ability-wise, he deserves to play in the NFL. I mean, NFL scouts and GMs are all on this height thing, which is just the biggest myth around. If you do any research or look up any statistics or numbers, you'll see that height does not really matter. Look at Drew Brees. Look at Baker. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, and then you look at guys like Paxton Lynch, Memphis, <laughs> Memphis grad, Brock Osweiler, Mike Glennon. Like, it doesn't matter, especially in today's football. You're not – it's a completely different game now than it was 10 years ago. And I think GMs and coaches, especially in the NFL now, are still reminiscing on past football and how it used to be played. If you look at Gruden at the Raiders now – He's just not with today's football, and he's an awful coach. Yeah, I agree. I talked about that on our first ever podcast, actually. But more and more NFL coaches are taking concepts out of college. Clearly, the most obvious ones, the Kansas City Chiefs with Mahomes. But, I mean, even the Patriots have been incorporating spread schemes and stuff for quite a while. It's just, like you said, the old school guys that are hard-headed and anti, I guess, analytic and want to you know, keep doing the same kind of stuff. But I think more and more each year the offenses are evolving into uh, ones that are more suited for skill sets and size quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I agree. Especially with the new rules, the new defensive rules, it's kind of like it opens the game up so much more that it benefits the offense, that it's just stupid not to play spread-style football. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. I think that was really good to give our listeners an insight into how we match up because I mean I could have kind of told you that but you had the data to support it which I think is really cool and it's also neat to see how you know the different formations and the success rates for that with uh, Coach Heupel's offense so anyway thanks a lot for uh, for coming on the show man really appreciate it thanks for having me all right so that gave us like a totally new perspective on watching the game now don't you think yeah definitely I mean he kind of said what we've been saying all along. Memphis has a really good running back, and we need to stop the run. But, you know, he gave us the data to back it up instead of just our opinions. And also kind of got some clarification about our success in the run game, which I feel like is something that everyone complains about. It seems like almost every week. I think our run game's fine. Yeah. He's got the numbers to, to back that up. So many numbers. A L- lot of numbers. <laughs> Lots of numbers. All right. Uh, let's move on. Our favorite segment. Money Moves Picks of, the, of week. the Week. All right, so Money Moves Picks of the Week. We were on a huge run, and then we fell flat on our face. Went 0-3 last week. Didn't really feel good. I was just telling Probs, you know, the morning I woke up on Saturday, I just had this vision that I, I just I didn't see the picks as well as I did the last week. But you know what? I thought I was just kind of an off day trust your gut though went I ahead and trusted, trusted my gut, gut but it you know sometimes it happens so we were 0-3 last week stick to your system though it got you here so far right 
we're still for the for the year I'm thirteen and eight. You know, sixty five percent win percentage. Can't complain with that. So um, last week we lost with Oklahoma. We're really close. Actually, we kind of were. The score the was close. The game really wasn't though. Miami, it was Texas yeah, game. Miami. No. The score was close, but we weren't really I, there. And I said Miami by three touchdowns. So much for that. And God, the Syracuse. I didn't see. We just saw Pitt last week, and they sucked. Wait, but maybe Pitt's decent, and we're just really fucking uh, good. I'm starting to think that now. Yeah, I'm starting so to think that. We'll see. Maybe, uh, maybe we get a little upset with them versus Notre Dame this week. Who knows? Could be. All right, so what are your picks this week? That was the other thing. Vanderbilt almost pulled off the upset against Notre Dame. That yeah. was one of the money move picks right there. So we might be on to something. All right, so this week we got three picks again. Number one, we're going to go with Northwestern, minus six and a half against the fighting Scott Frost. <laughs> oh, man. Nebraska. That's mean. On the road, they're 0-5 for the year. They're going to have to wait to get their next win. Nebraska, I just there's nothing else I have to say about them. They're just totally horrible. They haven't even been coming close in their games. Now they have played some tough teams. I mean, yeah, you know, Colorado's undefeated. They lost, you know, they lost to Michigan. Their schedule's not getting easier though. They might no. go zero and twelve, which like I love Scott Frost, and I feel like this is another thing that's talked about weekly on Twitter. I wish him all the best, and I know he will be successful one day, and I'm rooting for him. But you can't help but laugh that they haven't won a game yet. I mean, don't forget, it, it's his dream job, yeah, but at the end of the day, he left us, and I just think it's funny and a little ironic that he hasn't won a game yet, and their schedule is getting harder, so it'll be uh, something to watch for. Yeah, so they're going to go on the road to Northwestern, who actually just knocked off uh, number 22 or 23, Michigan State, on the road, so they'll be going home all fat and happy, and then they get an easy Nebraska Six and a half points, not a whole lot. So take Northwestern minus six like and that. a half. It's like an FCS team is what they look like this year. Okay, this next pick you're you might not gonna like. And I don't know why I'm doing this, but you said trust your gut, trust the system. Yeah. They've burned me twice before <laughs> already this year. But you know what? Third time's a charm. So we're gonna take Miami again. The U. Minus six against Virginia. Now for some reason, I keep picking Miami, and I don't know why. Other than the system that I've been using to get to 13-8 and eight makes it there. Although, of the eight losses, you know, Miami's three of them, or two of them. <laughs> I do think they're a good team. You know, obviously, I think UCF is way better, but Virginia, not a good team at all. I didn't really watch the FSU game. I saw some of the stats, and it looked like FSU was pretty much handling them. You know, they came back there at the end. Virginia, they haven't really beat anybody. They beat Louisville 27-3, beat Ohio, and beat Richmond. Meanwhile, Miami, you know, they only had that lot, one loss to uh, LSU. So it's quality only six loss. points, one not a huge loss. deal. No, I think they bounce back this week, but we'll see. All right, so my third and final pick is going to be the only underdog we take all week. We're taking Iowa State plus six and a half. They're going at West Virginia. This is another team that's ahead of us. It would be a great outright upset if right. it happened. Now, Iowa State just took down number 25 o- Oklahoma State last week. Now, their only other win on the whole year is against Akron with losses to TCU, Oklahoma, and Iowa. So those are three pretty tough teams. Yeah. Now, I said this a couple weeks ago when I took Texas Tech against West Virginia that 
West Virginia really hasn't proven anything yet. And we see now that Texas Tech isn't ranked. They only beat Kansas by 16, which they didn't cover the spread. And I think their next best win is against Tennessee. So I really still think they haven't proven anything. They haven't. And they're the number 16 team in the nation. Because they're undefeated and they're in the Power Five. That's what happens. All the undefeated teams move up just because they're in the Power Five, which is fair. You don't lose. You shouldn't go down. But that's what happens to UCF every week. Right. It is what it is. And Will Greer didn't have his best game of the season last, last week. I just think West Virginia, I feel like over the years, they're that dark horse team that everybody's like, oh, watch out for them, watch out for them, and then they're going to go lose to Iowa State. Yeah, and they got to like number two a few years ago, didn't they, for a little while? Maybe that was maybe like closer to a decade It was at ago. one point, but they've never yeah. made the playoff, and they haven't been in a national championship in God knows how I long. I think but. Greer's overrated too, uh, so I like that pick. So let's recap those real quick. So we're going to take Northwestern minus six and a half. Miami minus six and Iowa State plus six and a half. You know what? If you're feeling ballsy, take Iowa State money line. I'm telling you guys, West Virginia is not good. I like it. I really like the way Iowa State put up some points against Oklahoma State last week. So I really wanted to make this this next pick, and I'm still going to. It's just not an official money move pick that I really think we should take UCF at minus four and a half to five, depending on where you take it. Now, the system that I use, they should only be favored by about seven. So it's really not a big enough difference for me to make it an official money move pick. However, we really talked about it, you know, before in the interview, and we're going to talk about it just a little bit more because I think it's really fascinating that this is finally a game that we're not favored by double digits, even though we've won every single game that we played by 20 or more. Yeah. So, you know, four and a half with the way our offense scores, I just think it's it's too low. Yeah. And I, I think, think it's going to be a close game. My final prediction, I think we're going to win 50 to 40. So I think we're going to win by 10. So go ahead. Just score that's never happened in college football, probably. Yeah. <laughs> just no, I, I go ahead it, and do it. I think it'll be high scoring, but I think we still win by double digits. On paper, we look so much better than Memphis when you just look at wins and losses and points scored and stuff. But, you know, like we talked about, Memphis matches up really well against us. We've had trouble stopping the run. They're even better than any team we face at running the ball. You know, I'm just I'm happy I'll be there for the game. That's all I can say. You know, I will go back to the kicking game, too. They have that same kicker on the team who's their starter as it was last year, the one that missed at the end of regulation. Could have been the game-winning field goal. Twice. Yeah, minute and a half left, and they could have went up by three. He's also missed two field goals this season, and he's missed an extra point. So that could come into play. It did last game. That'll be something to definitely look out for. All right, so... Three picks, three official picks, one unofficial pick. Let's get that money. All right. Now it's time for my NFL locks of the week. Another winner last week, which I thought lost. It was Vikings plus three, and they won by two. I thought it was Vikings minus three. Moo actually just corrected me. There we go. So that moves me to four, two, and one on the season. So for the last 24 hours, you thought you lost. I thought we went on four combined. I'm glad I'm carrying the team now. All right, I got three for you. All road favorites. Whoa. All road. Three. That's like a huge no-no in the betting world. All <laughs> three-point road That's favorites. That's like the most Joe bet, not pro, 
most Joe bet ever. Yeah, but let's hear it. All right, so the first one, Eagles minus three at the Giants. What? The Eagles suck. The Giants suck too. This is a must win for the Eagles. What's a must win for the Giants? Yeah, but the, <laughs> but the Eagles went to the Super Bowl last year. Just hear me out. All right. Look, Doug Peterson, I respect him a lot as a head coach. He was able to turn Nick Foles into a Super Bowl MVP last year. Carson Wentz getting a little better on his knee every week. You know, he's still not. I don't think he's been 100%. I just think that, you know, with their backs up against the wall this season, you know, they've only got two wins, but their biggest loss was, I mean, six points to the Bucks. They're losing these close games. I just think Doug Peterson finds a way to win this game. So that's my first pick. They got the Bears minus three of the Dolphins. The Dolphins suck. They're overrated. I don't know how they started off 3-0. They blew a 17-point lead to the Bengals last week at home. The Bengals, they're all right. They don't have a great defense. The Bears might have the best defense in the NFL this year. The Bears are awesome. Tannehill has proved he's a garbage quarterback. He had two really dumb fumble-slash-interceptions. One of them returned for a touchdown last week. This is against the Bengals. The Bears have the best pass rusher in the NFL, Khalil Mack. He's going to cause some havoc in the backfield. So take the Bears minus three Yeah, the I kinda, Dolphins. I kind of like the Bears. I like the Bears' defense. They were yeah. really fun to watch this this year. And the Bears are coming off a bye week, too. And actually, in the power rate ratings, like you said, Miami being overrated, they're actually the 1-4 Colts are higher, one rank higher than the Miami Dolphins. Yep. And they're 1-4. And and so that, Miami totally overrated, 3-2. and two. I like the pick. And then Jags minus three at the Cowboys. The Jags go back and forth every week. They play great and they play bad. They play great. They play bad. Well, they played bad last week, so figure out the rest. Cowboys might have the dumbest coach in the NFL. Jason Garrett punting in overtime from his opponent's 44-yard line. with On fourth and one. You didn't see this last night? No, I was asleep. Dude, fourth and one. Cowboys have the ball in Texan territory in overtime. You've got Zeke Elliott, maybe the best running back in the NFL, and he punts. Dak's big, too. Dak's big, too. QB sneak. Push him in. So he punts. Texans drive down the field, kick a field goal, and win. Where did the punt go, though? So he punted it to the 10-yard line, but there's only five minutes left in overtime. You might not even get the ball back at that point. Playing for the tie. Go for it on fourth and one. But the Cowboys are two and three. I mean – that's just stupid. Yeah, whatever. They're dumb. Anyway, I Jags. Still want fantasy. Who I cares? Think th- I think no one cares about your fantasy team. I still think the Jags bounce back this game. So, to recap, we've got the Eagles, Bears, and Jags all minus three on the road. Three more winners. Let's do it. All right, got two more things to talk about. First, a couple nights in the NFL that stuck out this week. Jordan Aikens has had a catch in all five of his games. I thought that was pretty cool and worth noting. Um, Blake Bortles had a couple ugly interceptions, but still threw for over 400 yards, so shout-out to Blake. And uh, long snapper and former guest on our show, Charlie Hewlett, with a game-winning long snap and the Browns' overtime victory to avoid their second tie of the season. So shout-out to him. That was our NFL Knights. And then let's get to our— That was Knights in the NFL— yeah, that's what I said. Built by UCF. All right, and our last segment, we are going to take some questioners from listeners. DJ Pav asks, how do you feel about having four home games in a row? Do you think that had anything to do with our attendance being a little down? I mean, yeah, definitely towards the end there, SMU. You know, you see those f- four home games in a row, 
now without the canceled game, you know, it would it wouldn't have been, but I know three in a row is still a lot though. I, I'm guilty of it. I'm a, I'm a season ticket holder, and I saw that, and I was like, well, you know, maybe one I won't go to, you know, because I I live three and a half hours away. I can't make it to every single one. But yeah, for me, if it was a day game, I probably wouldn't have gone, honestly. But being a night game, I also had a friend coming up from Miami that wanted to go to the game. I did go, but originally when the schedule first came out, I didn't plan on going going there either. I mean, I live you know three and a half hours away too, and it's just a lot. And I think. The excitement of tailgating, it goes down every week. You know, when you've done it four times in a row. Yeah, you don't have time to get pumped up, like, for the next one. Exactly. Now we, you know, we've got some off time, so I think the next one, the next one will be... Temple, the Thursday Thursday game. That doesn't count. But then you don't have another one until uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. No, the uh, Navy on the 10th. November 10th, and then Cincinnati is November 17th, yeah. so one thing, I'll be at both of those. One thing that stinks is that the first college football rankings come out October 30th, Tuesday after our bye week, and then we have Temple coming up on the first, but it'll just be another reason, you know, because then we'll be down two games compared to most teams at that point. Another reason for us to suppress us in the rankings. One other thing I want to talk about, though, regarding attendance, you know, this has been a, a big subject on social media over the last few days about people leaving after at halftime for the SMU game. You know what? I did it. Uh, I'm sorry. I It just... Shame. No, You know what, man? I came to the game. And, you know, I wanted to beat the traffic out. So what? It's not... It's, who cares? It's not the end of the world. I'm there. I support our team. If it wasn't a blowout, I would have stayed. So what? Yeah, I mean, that is true. You were there. Yeah. We, when we were 0-12, we, we were paying people to try and come into the you know, get to the game, but you showed up. I went to I went to games 0-12. Yeah, I went to the USF game, the last game of the season. I still had hope for us. The stadium looked full on TV. It was I mean, pretty full. You know, those the higher-level sections on the away side that are, like, the last ones to fill in, those were kind of empty. Most of the students did leave, like, after halftime. But You know, the other thing I was going to bring up is that the way they do the student tickets now, you know, you have to get into the game so early. What do they do? Like an hour and a half or two hours before kickoff? Yeah, you know, I didn't even think about so that. So you're sitting there. It's like a three and a half, four hour game. You can't be sitting in those freaking bleachers for yeah. six six hours, man. That's like, a good crazy. point. Yeah, they, they make those kids get there early. They don't uh, have it easy like us. You could just show up like right when kickoff starts, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, they, you're they right. They lose. They give up two hours of two Ta- plus tailgating, hours of yeah. their tailgate to be there. Yeah, I, that's a good point. Look, guys, you know, I, I think we're getting a little uh, arrogant with our complaints and stuff. I mean, come on. We're winning every game by 20, and we, we have more attendance than we've ever had. So let's just cut that out. This one from UCF Fanatic. What kind of jerseys do you think we're wearing against Memphis, and how do you feel about our recru- recruitment class for 2019 so far? You know, two great questions. One, I think we're going to go all white because we've been wearing the dark uniforms all season. And as far as our recruitment class goes, you know, I think feel like this kind of gets lost in the shuffle, especially when we're undefeated. But Heupel's doing a great job with recruiting. We just got a uh, a commitment actually from a D tackle, or maybe he's a DN, six foot five. Kids a beast. Had like twenty offers from Power Five schools. I think kids an absolute monster, and that's at a position where we're a little weak and probably losing Tristan Hill after this season too, and also Joey Connor. So that's a position we really needed, and we got. And if you look at some of the other recruits, I think Heupel's doing a a really good job with that. All right, this is from Aaron Duck 7 aka Papa Horse. What bowls do you think the American will be able to tie in? Chances of the Liberty Bowl. Now, obviously, that question, I'm assuming, is uh, not for us for the Liberty Bowl, but for our conference. 
Right. So what what are all the bowls? I think it's like the Liberty Bowl, Armed Forces Bowl, Hawaii the, Bowl, the Birmingham, Saint P- Birmingham, uh, Saint Pete Gasparilla Bowl, and or whatever. It's, I think it's like the something mowers bad boy, bad boy mowers. mowers bowl it's been the bitcoin bowl before oh, bad times ago. i remember uh, that you know I, i'm thinking the peach bowl too. but then yeah probably the peach bowl or, or the whatever fiesta. the peach or the fiesta is what i've been seeing the most for us well those uh, are the only us. those are the only ones we can we can have the the sugar bowl has an automatic tie-in with two conferences and so does the whatever rose. the other one is the rose bowl too yeah um, Rose is always like Big Ten, Pac-12, yeah. I think. Yeah, and I think the Sugar Bowl is SEC and ACC. ACC. Yeah. yeah. So that leaves the Fiesta and the Peach because the Orange and Cotton, Cotton, cotton yeah. and Orange are semifinal games. So that leaves us with Fiesta and Peach. I think the Peach would make a big pull for us, seeing as how we turned out last year, but depends on who our potential opponent is because, you know, if it's like a Pac-10 team, they'll probably want us to come out to the Fiesta Bowl again. But let's you not know, get too about ourselves. I was going to say, I kind of had this dream that uh, somehow UF kept winning, but maybe they lose, like, one more game, and then we stay undefeated, and then it's us versus the Gators in Atlanta in the Peach Bowl. That would be cool. That's a possibility, right? That's a nice, you know, not quite as good as MLK's I Have a Dream speech, but that was a pretty good one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, that that would be awesome. That would be a lot of fun. I mean, honestly, if we lose one game, that's it. This is how this is how messed up this whole freaking college football playoff is. If we lose one game, we're going to the freaking Birmingham Bowl. Like, yeah. It just is what it is. Yeah, it stinks. All right, last question. What are the chances of Kalubi Alley winning, winning the Heisman this year? I know he's got my vote, but I don't know if my vote actually counts for anything. I think so. Mark Daniels might write him in. He actually has a vote. He voted for Shaquem last year. And the, uh, the official criteria for the Heisman Trophy – they recognize the outstanding college football player whose performance best exhibits the pursuit of excellence with integrity. The winners of the trophy epitomize great ability combined with diligence, perseverance, and hard work. I mean, <laughs> that does not sound like Jameis Winston, I'll tell you that right yeah. now. No, that did he win it? Yeah, didn't he? He definitely won it, dude. No, he won the national championship. Oh! I think Mariota won it that year. Oh, yeah. All right, cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, he did. He did. Oh! Yeah. I'm actually right. Okay. Uh, no, that's got, what What do they say, grit, determination, hard work? I mean, that yeah. is Kalubi Ali. Kalubi Ali. He's got our votes, definitely. He had another two catches this game, so staying very consistent. I like it. All right, I think that's all we've got. You know, like I said, tune in, 3.30 ABC. This might be our closest this is going to be our closest game all season, and if I'm wrong, then I'm we're really fucking good, like better than I thought we were. So that'll be fun, and if you're going up there, hit me up. Got a bunch of cool events planned. You got anything else? No, I was just going to say, if you're traveling up to Memphis, just be aware that there is a major hurricane coming up that way. Not going to hit Memphis, but maybe if you're doing a road trip. Oh, I get what through. you're saying. I'm like, dude, not another yeah, hurricane. No, just be aware. I did look at the forecast, though, for – Oh, Saturday, it says uh, partly cloudy and 74, so I'm kind of jealous. And if you're going up there, try and stay in good areas. I unfortunately booked a hotel that is not in a good area, but uh, I'm a big boy. can handle my own. All right, that's it. Go Knights. Might have some interesting stories next week to tell about the hotel. I mean, I haven't been on an away game trip without some interesting stories, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully not anything dangerous. Anyway, go Knights. Charge on. I wear my sunglasses.
Don't switch the flame.